4: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. And this is the inaugural episode of our Boys of Summer series. Woo-hoo! Yes, because we both love Don Henley. That's right. That's all this episode is about. Yes. It's going to be a four-episode-long series on the artistry of Don Henley. No, just kidding. We wanted to do a series during June highlighting men who have made significant contributions to the lives of women in, in various ways. So throughout June... We are going to highlight four boys of summer and we're kicking off this week with Franche designer Paul Poiret. And while I don't know that Poiret is so, so much a, a gender equality champion or anything like that, he did, however, unlace women from the corset. He helped us breathe
3: easier. Thank goodness.
0: Yeah, this guy had pretty humble beginnings in a working-class Parisian family. He was born in 1879 to a cloth merchant, so he he sort of had an in already into the design world. He became one of the 20th century's greatest couturiers. Is that right? right? Yeah. Oh, couture? Yeah. Okay. I'm pretending... Like I know French. Okay, so he actually used his natural charisma to gain entry into some of the most exclusive ateliers
4: of the Belle Epoque. And basically, an atelier is, it's French for workshop, and it's where you would go if you were uh, an up-and-coming fashion designer, and you would basically make designs alongside and with more important fashion designers. So like Project Runway. Yeah, kind of like a fashion (laughs) guild.
0: (laughs) So he starts out, he's working for other designers. He's not necessarily working for himself. But immediately, he starts shaking things up. And in 1903... Poiré created a coat based on the shape of a kimono, and it was indicative of the fashions he would eventually promote and popularize throughout his career, things that were looser and that flowed. He said that he'd become tired of the dominant aesthetic. All that was soft, washed out, and insipid was held in honor. He thought, basically, that all wealthy women looked the same, all corseted and wearing all those heavy, ruffled things.
4: Yeah, there was this anecdote about him going to this fancy Parisian café, and walking in and seeing these very well-dressed women sitting at a table... But he thought to himself, I would have no idea how to tell you two apart. There's there's no character or individuality at all in the clothes that you're wearing. And so we're going to get to how he eventually was like, you know what, ladies, let's take off that corset. But for a little bit of bra history to understand just how significant it is that we finally stopped wearing corsets, not surprisingly... The bra, the brassiere, the boob holder has been around for a really, really, really long time. Historians trace it back to 2500 B.C. when Minoan women on the island of Crete wore tightly fitted bands across their waists to hoist up. Their bare breasts. Yeah, so we had push-up bras starting in ancient
0: times, and then corsets enter the picture around 1600. They were made from stiffened linen and wood, horn, metal, or whale teeth. So right away, undergarments are incredibly comfortable.
4: Yes, because there's nothing, nothing that takes you through the day quite like whale teeth. <laughs> Holding your boobs up. That's right, just crunching down on your ribs. Uh, now the early versions though of corsets were called stays. The word corset did not come into general use until the late 18th century. Just a little, little grammar note. And etymological there. origins, because core was
0: the French word for body and corset. Like a little body, because oh. you're being fricking
4: shrunk by whale teeth. It's it's a precious etymology for a not so precious garment. But it's it wasn't just meant to create that tiny waist. It was also meant to support the very heavy garments of the time. Edwardian dress was super heavy, made of these very thick fabrics. It was uncomfortable, and an outfit for a woman. Could weigh twenty five pounds easily. <sighs> it's like carrying around a toddler. Yeah, all the time on you. I, well, I guess.
0: I mean, I don't know. A toddler that holds your boobs That's like an all go. over baby bjorn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So stuff gets real in eighteen sixteen when French corsetier Leroy. I read this first as Leroy. I'm like, oh, the redneck French corsetier. Oh, Leroy set out to France to make a corset. <laughs> So he invents the divorce corset, which separates
4: and pushes the breasts upward using padded iron or steel. And I think it was around this point when something called the divorce corset was manufactured that women and some men were like, okay, (laughs) y'all, things are getting a little crazy. And from while all of this is going on, when we have now the evolution from corset to the brassiere. In the background, from 1850 to around 1914, we have the dress reform movement going on because there were people, some radical folks, who were thinking for not only women's but also men's fashion as well that, okay, people, we were wearing a lot of clothes. They are very heavy. They're so expensive. What can we do? This is absolutely ridiculous. And there were actually branches of them specifically focused on underwear Mm -hmm. reform. Which I love. I would love to go to those meetings. Yeah, an underwear reform Have meeting? Have some coffee and pastry at an underwear meeting? Well, basically, underwear reform advocated for everyone to just wear union suits. Which are like those onesies, you know, those long coffee. john onesies. Coffee. Yeah. Yeah, there was, uh, who was it, Rebecca Taylor? No, Susan Taylor, excuse me, was her name, was this woman who advocated for the emancipation suit which would have been a replacement for all the women's corsets, bustles, crinoline, etc. And you just wear a ladies' union suit. I like it. I bet that gets warm, though. My mother would not enjoy that. No, a, it, That's a, a union suit still sounds like too much to me. But while that social movement is simmering in the background, in 1889, we have Hermione Cadolle who opened up a shop in Paris, and she is attributed... With selling the first bra, it was a part of a two-piece underwear set. Scandalous. Yes, it was called a soutien gorge, and I know that I'm mangling that French, but I wanted to say that because it's French for a throat support. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a bra is literally a throat support.
0: Huh. All right. Well, so in 1893, Marie Tusek patented the first bra. But meanwhile, throughout the 1890s, artist Charles Dana Gibson had popularized the S-shaped silhouette of the Gibson girl using a corset and a bustle. So, like, you're, you've got this tiny waist, but you're you're jutted out in the front and then your butt's sticking up in the back. And it's very unnatural. And I'm sure there were a lot of back pain going on. But it wasn't until 1907 that the word brassiere enters the lexicon when Vogue uses it for the first time. And Paul Poirier really was its champion. He was the first
4: to realize the potential of fashion without
0: corsets. And
4: we'll go into more detail in how Poirier really popularized the no-corset look in high fashion, which then trickled down to lower fashion. Because at this point, too, we start to have a shift to where fashion becomes more democratized, where it's not just really wealthy women who can look good, but the styles change to where women of all means can look good. This also, will start to talk about the mass production of goods. We have urbanization, all these things that are starting to kick up. And on July 9th, 1910, Mary Phelps Jacob, under the name Caress Crosby, (laughs) patented a design for the bra, not the first bra design, but it's the design that would be the most widely used. It was the closest thing at this point to a bra as we would wear today. Yeah,
0: silk handkerchiefs and a ribbon. She developed it to wear under an evening gown after her corset kind of, you know, was was readily seen under the dress. It was too scandalous, so she made a little bra out of hankies. A little hanky bra. She was a socialite, FYI. Can I rant for a sec? please.
3: Tennessee just sounds perfect, whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip,
2: visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.
0: Yeah. Well, so talking about the whole fashion affects society and society affects fashion and like world events make changes happen. That was that was a delicate way of saying all that. Well, so we have World War One. Yeah. Yeah. And during this period, corsets really fall out of favor, and they're replaced by bras and girdles. But what helped that along? Not only was it designers like Pere, but in 1917, we have the U.S. War Industries Board, which asked women to stop buying corsets to save metal. And boy, did they. They ended up saving 28,000 tons, enough to build two battleships, which is cray-cray, if you ask me.
4: So how is Poiret influencing things? Well, he is not only paying attention to the influence of simplicity on cut and form. You have functionalism taking over from Art Nouveau. Essentially, lines everywhere are becoming simpler. The Gibson girl is falling out of fashion, and you have the what will become afterwards those straighter lines of, you think of the new woman of the flapper area, where women would actually bind their breasts down uh, to look as flat-chested as possible. Um, and so Pere was essentially riding a social wave, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a, a confluence of a, a number of different forces, and he happened to be the one with the f- vision for fashion to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to put together an entire catalog mm-hmm. based around this look. Well, as part of that catalog that
0: I'll talk about in just a second, um, he really put the influence not only on simplicity of cut and form, but brighter colors, bolder patterns, and lighter fabrics. And around this time... Uh, There was a focus on function and form because, like Kristen said, we had rapid urbanization and increased popularity of sports like tennis, cycling and golf that created a need for clothes that allowed greater movement. So Paré's view was simple. Elaborate underwear spoiled the line of women's clothes. To him, it wasn't just, oh, people are playing tennis now. It's like, no, my designs, my simple, unstructured, unfussy designs are being ruined By the corset. And so, amid all of these social and fashion changes, his new groundbreaking catalog, illustrated by Georges Le Pape, ended up revolutionizing fashion and fashion illustration. One of his dresses, the design for a white dress in the Hellenic style, was just a tubular shape with a high waist that had no need for
4: hoops or a corset. Yeah, he also was a big fan, side note, of uh, turbans in place of large hats, harem pants under tunics for Downton Abbey fans. You might remember where the youngest daughter debuts her new harem pant outfit and everyone is like, oh my goodness. And yeah, there was definitely an outcry over those harem pants as, quote, a dangerous appropriation of the male prerogative. Um, But... I mean, in thinking about the massive impact of this catalog that Poiret put out, because we might think, well, he's just one guy. How could he have that much influence? Well, at the time, he was known as the king of fashion. And I'm trying to think of a modern-day equivalent to that. And I'm trying to think of a modern-day equivalent to that, I don't know, maybe it's like if Mark Jacobs for instance, who has a major influence from high to lower fashion, came out with something shocking that would make international fashion news. All pants have inner tubes built in. Pants are the new shirt. (laughs) I
0: love it. Well, so Emma West, in a 2011 paper called A Modernist Mode, Fashion, 1910, and the Limits of Modernism... Wrote that if fashion is seen as a way of externalizing oneself, then wearing these modern fashions would have been a big part of how women expressed their modernity. She says, moreover, Perret's designs also helped women embrace a modern lifestyle. With this emphasis she talks about on, you know, his loose, comfortable clothes that actually made sports and, oh I don't know, like walking possible. She said, For the first time, women could fully negotiate the speed and terrain of the modern city. Fashion changed the way that women interacted with and experienced modernity. Because now, if you're not wearing a corset and tight 25-pound toddler clothes,
4: you're less likely, I would think, to like pass out in the street. Well, and she also points out how many different factors, when you sum it all up, Combined to spark this idea for Poiret, which includes technological innovation, urbanization, sports. You know, everyone was all of a sudden golfing and playing tennis. You have the bicycle, suffragism was happening, functionalism, cubism, exoticism, as you see with pulling in more Eastern styles with harem pants and turbans. All of these factors combine and it's kind of incredible. And so Poiret is left behind this legacy of freeing women from the corset because he advocated for the brassiere to replace it, but Poiret got the last laugh in terms of, of, uh, confining women to, to clothes that restricted their movement. He introduced the hobble skirt, which was a vertical, tight-bottomed style, and he said, quote, I freed the bust and I shackled the legs. Well, okay, so even if you can't take long strides, at least you can take a deep breath? Sure. Sure. Well, and which had a longer lasting impact? The hobble skirt or not having to wear a corset? Oh yeah, cause I still wear a hobble skirt. Oh, yeah. I know the answer to that question. I'll Kristen. tell you what, Caroline, a hobble skirt on public transit that is, I've missed so many trains. <laughs> no, no wait, wait. No, no, no wait.
0: Hold, hold on. Um, I found I found a really fantastic article from 1976 that was talking about an exhibition of Parade's clothes in New York. Um, and this quote from Robert Riley, who was the director of the Design Lab of FIT Fashion Institute of Technology at the time, said that. For a thousand years, women had worn structured clothing and corsets were from the knees to the armpits. And he threw that out the window. He must have scared women to death. When he visited the United States, there was a great hue and cry. Poré was destroying
4: women's morals. Women were showing their ankles for the first time. But sad end to the story is that even though Poré... You know, revolutionized fashion in this major way that had a huge historical significance. He died penniless. Like yeah. after the war with mass production entering into fashion, he didn't want to conform. He wanted to continue working on couture clothes and the economics just weren't there. And I think the last time the New York Times reported on him while I was still alive, he was working as a bartender and he, and then he died poor and kind of faded away and I just r- randomly ran across him and I, I didn't know the story about him. I'm sure fashion buffs out there have heard of Port Ray. Mm-hmm. but we thought that he would be a fun one to kick off the boys of summer series because it's an interesting snippet of how one person's major contribution summed up in one fashion catalog. Yeah. Really changed things. Now, I'm sure there are some women saying, well, we're still wearing bras. How about that? But, hey, ladies, at least we don't have whale teeth around our bodies. Yeah, or like steel. Well, we have underwire. At least we don't have whale teeth. Yes, there we go. (laughs) Ladies, gender is the gender wage gap getting you down? At least we don't have whale teeth. (laughs) Put that on a T-shirt. So we hope that you enjoyed this edition of The Boys of Summer. If you'd like to write us, MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letter. You can also hit us up on Facebook. You're going to want to follow us on Facebook this summer. That's all I'm going (laughs) to say. And before we get to a couple letters that you have sent us, we're going to take just a quick break, and then we'll get right back.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire
3: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like
2: banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise.
3: All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
2: PNC Bank,
3: brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC.
4: And now, back to our letter.
0: I have one here from Caitlin. Caitlin. She says, I work as a legal assistant and deal primarily in FINRA securities arbitrations. I throw those words around all the time, too, Caitlin. Uh, So I go through a lot of new account forms and financial documents in general. You would be absolutely amazed to see how often men control their wives' investment accounts. They always open accounts on the same day. One time, we went to a hearing, and the wife had checked off speculation as her investment objective and claimed her level of investment expertise was excellent. Well, she lost a ton of money because her husband and son-in-law were trading in her account, and she allowed them to it was pathetic to see her testify. Quote, my daddy and husband have always controlled my investments. Well, then she should have dealt with her loss since she had no problem spending money when her boy's speculation paid off. Unfortunately, the arbitration panel awarded her a back portion of the money she'd lost. Worst part, one of the panelists was a woman.
4: Made me want to puke. Wow, thanks for the story, Caitlin. Well, I got an email here from Rose, who is writing a response to our episode on men and anorexia because she wanted to share a bit of her story about recovering from anorexia. So a little bit of a a trigger warning here for people who might have struggled with eating disorders. Um, But she writes... I really really appreciate you saying that anorexia is not about losing weight. It's not that at all. It's about control. You feel scared and stressed about something in your life and you channel those emotions into the one thing you can you can control, which is your body. And she goes on to talk about how a lot of times people might not realize the length of time that a lot of anorexics will struggle with their eating disorder and how uh, she bottomed out with her weight over a four-month period. And she says, this short four-month period with the flashy numbers about how low my weight was is what most people think of as anorexia. However, this is not the only anorexia. It's also all the years leading up to that when I would look in every single mirror around to see if I looked fat, when i jiggle my leg every time I sat to burn more calories, and it's when I thought and even calmly accepted the fact that I'd die alone because I was so fat and hideous. But since my BMI is normal and I hit it well, no one ever knew that I was anorexic. So I'm sorry for this rather depressing read, but I thought that you would be someone who, being interested in equality and women's rights in general, would be interested to hear some common misconceptions. Um, so I really wanted to thank her for her letter, and even if it might be on a sadder topic, I think it is important to take into account with issues of that that it's not just something that you snap out of that there is a timeline, you know, from both before maybe the the visible symptoms become more apparent to people around you and how, you know, it can be an ongoing struggle. So, and again, for anyone listening who might be struggling with eating disorders, um, we highly recommend you going to the National Eating Disorders Association's website online to find resources to get some help because it is something that you can recover from. So with that, again, send us your letters. If you'd like to email us, discovery.com is where you can do it. You can also message us on Facebook and tweet us at MomStuffPodcast. And if you want to keep up with us on Tumblr, you can follow us at stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And you can now watch us. We are on YouTube, Bring you videos, brand new ones, three times a week. So head on over before you do anything else to youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you and subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit
3: howstuffworks.com. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking.
2: Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you
3: by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive